The Lord be with you. Welcome back as we continue to make our way through the book of Exodus, looking at this story as our story. That as God brings the people up miraculously out of slavery through the Red Sea to journey through the wilderness to the promised land, that we find, in fact, a roadmap for our own spiritual journeys. We talked about the way in which we too are enslaved. That the only way out is to give up control to God. We've spoken about the wilderness and the difficult journey, the urge within us to turn back, And yet, that in the wilderness is the place where we find God giving us our new identity and giving us the ways in which to live into freedom. We come now to the next part of the story, to the next marker in our spiritual journeys, and one that really couldn't be any more fitting for us in the midst of this extreme social distancing. So if you're feeling the anxiety, If you are feeling the uncertainty, maybe even the desperation of all this sitting and waiting, then do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book that burns but is never burned up. Let's pray. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom and in your way that we find peace. So shine your light upon us now, O Lord, that we may see you more clearly and follow you more faithfully. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, All right, take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up with a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf. And the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. They got up early the next day and offered up entirely burned offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. The people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to celebrate. The Lord said to Moses, Hurry up and go down. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They've made a metal bull calf for themselves. They've bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people, and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say, 
He had an evil plan to take the people out and kill them in the mountains and so wipe them off the earth. Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you yourself promised. I'll make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, and I've promised to give your descendants this whole land to possess for all time. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said he would do to his people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is another one of those passages where we roll our eyes at the Israelites. They're a few weeks out of the Red Sea and all that God had done for them there. They're eating manna, which God provides every morning. They just saw God descend upon Mount Sinai right in front of them. They just received the Ten Commandments, the first two of which are no other gods before me and no idols in the form of anything. And yet here they are. Moses has gone up on the mountain with God for 40 days and nights, and they can't even wait a few weeks before making idols and bowing down to worship them. We're quick to blame them, but we're safe on our side of the page. Get into the story. Step into their shoes. Experience this with them. This dude Moses shows up out of nowhere in Egypt, claiming to be God's prophet, speaking stories and tales to bring them up out of Egypt, eventually doing so. You experience something at the Red Sea you can't quite explain as you make your way across on dry ground. This spiritual giant of a man, Moses, then guides you to Mount Sinai. And you're just beginning to believe this whole thing to buy into the story he's telling you about the gods of your ancestors bringing you out and gathering you together. You're just beginning to trust him as a leader, as the one who will finally bring you maybe home. And then he disappears. Goes up on the mountain alone with God in the midst of all that thunder and lightning and fire and disappears. You assume he'll be back in a day or two, but the time keeps going with no word, nothing. Imagine the urgency as you wait day after day for Moses to return with God's instructions. Imagine as that turns to desperation. Is Moses even still alive? Did God kill him? Did he abandon us and leave? What could possibly be taking so long? Rumors begin to circulate in the camp. People begin to talk, to wonder, to assume. And when it all becomes too much, someone decides to do something. They go to Aaron. They say, Moses is gone. Make gods for us. And so Moses makes the golden calf. It's a familiar idol, an idol they'd known back in Egypt. And in this uncertainty, 
in their desperation and in their waiting. They had turned back to their old control strategies and coping mechanisms they'd learned back in slavery. An idol, a golden calf. We're in an eerily similar sort of space right now, aren't we? Sitting, waiting, wondering. We've been at home now for, what, two weeks? How long will this go on? Who knows? And in the uncertainty and the waiting, we have nothing to do but wash our hands, keep our distance, and wonder what's going on and where this is going. What are you doing in the waiting? How do you manage the uncertainty, the anxiety that it causes? What are your coping mechanisms to wrench back a sense of control in seasons like this? Each of us has, have developed tools in slavery for dealing with anxiety and fear and uncertainty. When the temperature starts to go up inside, be that tension or anxiety or worry or fear, we have tried and true ways to lower it for ourselves just a few degrees, enough to get back to comfortable. And what happens is that over time, these form thick neural pathways, grooves in our brains in which we get stuck. They form like addictions in us. When we experience the stimulus, be, be it fear or uncertainty, tension or anxiety, our brain's automatic response is to trigger one of these coping mechanisms. They become compulsions to wrestle control back in the waiting and the uncertainty. And one of the things I've seen in the midst of this pandemic is that those things are bubbling right up to the surface. You might be finding yourself far more alone than you're comfortable. Or you might find yourself stuck more tightly with others than you're comfortable, with nowhere to run. That'll start to trigger stuff in you. And in that anxiety, where do you find yourself turning? What do you find yourself doing Last Saturday was my first day off in a couple of weeks. The week before, we'd canceled worship on Friday, and Friday and Saturday were spent getting ready for something new. So this was the first time off in a couple weeks, and I found myself antsy, jittery almost, craving something to do, to accomplish, to check off of a list. I began to recognize this huge undercurrent of anxiety inside that I'd been ignoring in all this, just focusing in with laser precision on what needs to get done and attacking it methodically. Doing, accomplishing, fixing are coping mechanisms of mine that give me a sense of control and importance and worth. Another one's eating. Sometimes if I'm stuck, if I don't know how to do what I need to do or what to do next, I'll find myself just mindlessly looking for something to eat, something to take the edge off just enough 
when feeling out of control. Maybe for you it's a drink, or two, or three. Or maybe it's cleaning. You know, when there's tension at home, whether it's a, a fight with someone or something else going on, I'll find myself picking things up and putting them away. Again, not helping the problem, but giving me a little bit of control in the midst of the situation. Maybe it's shopping. You ever find yourself anxious or stressed and just scrolling through Amazon looking for a hit of your prime fix? I have. Maybe it's working. That that's a space you can control, you can achieve, you can be recognized as a success. And throw, so you throw yourself into your work when things are uncertain. Or maybe it's checking out. A Netflix binge, Facebook coma, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Anything to just check out from relationships, from work, from people, from yourself. Maybe it's something else entirely. We all have things that we do when the temperature rises. In times like this, when we're uncertain, when we're stuck and waiting and anxious, things that aren't bad in themselves, but become compulsions, become, could we say, idols. They're things we use to feel some sense of control, a quick fix we create to cope with our discomfort. What if those things are idols? What if we're using them to plug a hole that was made only for God? What if we're short-circuiting the longer and more difficult work that God is trying to do in us in the wilderness with a quick fix we learned back in Egypt? What if what we really need to do is learn to sit in the discomfort and wait for the Lord? Israel couldn't handle the waiting. Where is Moses? Where is God? What is going on in all of this, they wondered. And so in their uncertainty, in the urgency and anxiety of the moment, they went right back to their familiar control strategies. An idol, a golden calf, a way to harness the divine and control God's presence in their midst. But here's the irony of it all. Because where is God? Where was God? What was God doing while Israel waited impatiently? Well, if you back up in the story, you'll see that while Israel was making this idol, while they were falling back into their tried and true coping mechanisms in this season of waiting, God is up on Mount Sinai with Moses, working and preparing a way to be more present with Israel than they could have ever dreamed was possible. God was telling Moses how to build the tabernacle, the very tent of God's presence that would dwell in the midst of Israel's camp. God was revealing to Moses how to set up the priesthood with Aaron and his descendants, how to do sacrifices, was preparing all of the ways that would be need to be set up for God to come down off that mountain and dwell in the midst of God's people. 
While they were craving God's presence and turning to a shortcut, God was working to be able to be more present to them than God had ever been before. Where is God? In a strange way, God is in the waiting. It's in the wilderness places where we meet God. The wilderness is the furnace of transformation for our lives. These are the times when God is doing something incredible and new. If we can wait for it. C.S. Lewis famously wrote that it's not that our desires are too strong. That's not our problem. It's that our desires are too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, he wrote. We settle for our control strategies, our coping mechanisms, our addictions, and our idols. We settle for shortcuts and junk food and the momentary fix instead of holding out for what can truly satisfy us. For that for which we truly long instead of embracing the wilderness and the waiting and the uncertainty as the very places where we meet God. Where is God? Our God is not Aristotle's God, the unmoved mover who spins the world on its axis and retires off somewhere else. No, our God is in the wilderness in the midst and messiness of our lives, at work by the Holy Spirit. And so as the world seems to fall apart around us, what coping mechanisms, what control strategies, what idols do you need to give up in order to do as the psalmist says? Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.